Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. No, my whakarongo mai ki extra time. Kora vindahuni at name. An action-packed podcast ahead with rugby, MMA and motor racing all on the menu. And we also ask what turns you off sport. But first, after almost a year and a lot of soul-searching, Dane Coles is set to make his All Blacks return this weekend. The All Blacks name their team to play Japan in Tokyo this afternoon, and it will largely be made up of rookies, with most of the first-choice players heading to London to prepare for their blockbuster test against England in Twickenham. For Coles, though, it will mark the end of a comeback he thought may never complete. Rugby reporter Joe Porter with this report. Still there for Smith. Now he gets it off to Barrett. Barrett away to Coles. And Dane Coles scores the opening try of the test match. Dane Coles scored the opening try of last November's win in France, but he'd soon be forced from the field with a knee injury that would keep him out of rugby for almost a year. Several setbacks and two surgeries later, and he's finally back in black. Yeah, man, just, just so happy. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a few, uh, it was touch and go this year for a couple of times, so... Um, just like, I'm just happy to be much a rugby team again and, and doing rugby things. And it's a beat being in the gym by yourself or running on the field. <laughs> New appreciation for, for rugby, that's for sure. What about the wife, she probably thought she almost had you for all of November. Yeah, yeah I know. She's been definitely making the most of it. <laughs> a lot of nights out and on a Saturday night, me parked up at home with the kids. So, <laughs> yeah, she's, I don't think she knows what's going to hit her over the, the next six weeks. But, uh, yeah, mate, she, we've, it's been a little bit of blessing disguise being at home with the kids and, and the wife. And we've, yeah, we've made the, definitely made the most of it. Coach Steve Hansen says the hooker can't wait to cut loose. Oh, I don't think he needs any fizzing up. He's pretty fizzed up. I don't think any more fizzing and he'll bubble. So we don't need to go too far on the fizzing. Hansen names his team this afternoon and it should hold plenty of fresh faces with a bunch of rookies in line to debut. 23 of the All Blacks' first choice players will head to the UK later today to prepare for next weekend's highly anticipated clash with England while the rest of the squad and 19 others remain in an All Blacks B team to take on Japan. Coles is one of the senior guys staying in the land of the rising sun and he concedes it will be a step up from the two games of domestic rugby he's recently played. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit different than a bit of uh, modesty and cut, that's for sure, that intensity. But the All Black jersey does any one, uh, many wonders to you. Both Coles and All Black fans will be hoping he makes the most of his second coming and reclaims his status as the best hooker in world rugby. Also this weekend, the New Zealand women's team break more ground when they take on the United States in an historic triple header alongside the Māori All Blacks at Chicago's famous Soldier Field. That was rugby reporter Joe Porter. The former Hurricanes in England number 8, Thomas Waldrum, has revealed his frustration at the lack of communication from All Blacks coaches and says his snubbing for higher honours ultimately led to him leaving for the UK. 
Waldrum has announced his retirement after 17 years as a professional, including one final stint with Wellington in this season's Mitre 10 Cup. He played four tests for England from 2012 to 2013 and spent nearly a decade playing for the Leicester Tigers and Exeter Chiefs. He also spent what he calls a career-best season with the Crusaders in 2009 and says his treatment by then All Blacks coaches Graham Henry, Wayne Smith and Steve Hansen left a sour taste in his mouth. He spoke to Joe Porter about that, his experiences as a cult hero in the UK and why he decided now was the time to hang up his boots. It was just the body. The body was starting a bit sore and uh, even mentally um, I was falling a bit hard with training and stuff like that so um, I've been doing it for a long time so I just thought it was the right time to hang the boots up and then move on to something different and just sort of get out of a comfort zone again probably. That's right. And so what are you going to do? Are you moving away from rugby completely? Do you hope to get involved in coaching at all? Uh, I, I do at some stage, but I'm going to give myself a, like a year break. But, um, so I'm working for um, DB Brews. So I'm uh, starting at the bottom doing merchandising like being a Heineken rep. And then a beer and rugby probably go together. <laughs> so that's a, a big one and I, I do enjoy their products. But it's just, um, it's just something different as well. It's just a total new... Um, environment and stuff like that so I just wanted to I sort of wanted to try work for someone that I was familiar with and definitely know what um, that you can progress in, in their career really When you were running around with Scott at Silverstream as, as teenagers did you ever think you'd have such a long career? Uh, no I think that's the thing you just try to keep uh, defying the odds I think we get told I think when we first made the rugby that um, it's only a three year uh, process and then people sort of move on and then it's sort of a it's in the back of your mind of what you can do to keep going and going and probably my biggest attribute was probably just trying to be as fit as possible and if you if you keep yourself in a good reasonable nick you can sort of hopefully keep going and do you have any regrets in your playing career at all uh i, I was actually thinking about that but probably just one um when i was at the tigers and we won the premiership and i uh, Richard Crockwell dropped me for the last game and it was the final and um, I was probably that bitter that I, I didn't celebrate. We won the premiership and I didn't touch the trophy or I didn't have any photos or anything like that and that's probably one of my biggest regrets letting the coach sort of um, dictate uh, a little bit of, of that moment where um, I did I put a lot of hard work into to get the boys to um, to get to that final. Do you ever look back and think about how close you were to making the All Blacks? Um, yes, yes, and no. Um, probably, it probably only comes down to probably one season, probably at the Crusaders, and um, I had to move away from Wellington, which was a tough decision. Being born and bred Wellington, but um, going to Christchurch for game time was pretty much the ultimate. And then sort of having probably one of my best years ever with playing with Kieran Reid and Richie and. Um, Probably not even to get a look into junior all blacks or the coaches even saying like, oh, you, you, you need to improve on this or anything like that. But no communication whatsoever, and um, and I sort of knew that I hadn't got that much time left. So I sort of um, I wanted to play play international rugby, and that's where sort of that's where the England part came in really. So you moved to England, obviously to further your own playing career, but also with ambitions to play for England. Yeah, I think that, that was probably one of my biggest goals. Cause you, you see the All Blacks and they're at the top of the game and you want to be... That's why I, play, that's why I played the game because I wanted to test myself, be at the highest level and, um, and that's, that was one of my main main reasons of going over to England. And you, you achieved that goal. You got some tests f- for the big boys over there so you, you must be pretty happy with that. 
Yeah, well, that, well that's one of my you know, one of my um, ultimate achievements. I think going over there and actually reaching the goal that I set myself, and um, that's the thing. I was, I was involved in the setup for quite a long time, and then um, I only had a handful of games. But just to be there and experience it and um, feel like what the All Blacks feel like was amazing. And you obviously had a, a pretty decent cult following throughout the Premiership as well. <laughs> yeah, so it was, yeah, I think um, I was here to a few people. I was quite lucky enough to when I first went to Leicester and Aaron Major was, Aaron Major was coming back to New Zealand and he just left the house as it was and had uh, all the furniture, toys, even all the baking equipment. So all we had to do was drop our clothes off and we were set up, ready to go. And we were lucky enough to have a couple of other New Zealanders with Scott Hamilton, Craig Newby and Ben Heron. So it was just it made the settling in period so much easier. So I spoke to Aaron Major a lot as well. Yeah, absolutely. And what did you make of the professional life playing over in Europe? Obviously, some people have great experiences and others not so much. What What were your experiences? You obviously enjoyed it? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And that's the thing. It is, sometimes it is a grind. Um, I learned some tough lessons. So in the wintertime when um, we the backs can't get the ball as much, it was cold and miserable, snowing, and um, they relied a lot on the forwards to to get the momentum and... Um, and to get a, a vantage line. So sometimes it, it was a grind, but sometimes it was mentally challenging as well because all you had to do was just put your head down and keep going and making 20 or 30 carries for only like 20 metres, but it was, it was the right thing to do. And uh, sometimes you were doing that weeks after weeks um, just to get some points. And then once you accumulate those points, you, you can, you're at the top of the table and then you're sort of getting home semi-finals. And I think that that's the thing, the, the grind that it takes to, get those points, um, pays off sort of towards the end of the season as well. Sounds like some club rugby seasons in Wellington, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does, but yeah. Or, or maybe, on, or maybe on nicer pictures, that's the only difference. Thomas Waldrum talking to Joe Porter. One of the world's most famous sporting arenas is the venue for what the New Zealand combat sports star Israel Adesunya believes will be his next step towards world champion status this weekend. Unbeaten in 14 professional MMA bouts, on Sunday the UFC's ninth-ranked middleweight faces sixth-ranked American rival Derek Brunson at New York's Madison Square Garden. The 29-year-old is shooting for his fourth win since joining the world's biggest mixed martial arts promotion and, if successful, feels a crack at the belt maybe just around the corner. Clay Wilson spoke to Adesunya this week and started by asking the Nigerian-born Kiwi if his trip to Madison Square Garden this week to watch an NBA basketball game had been helpful for his preparation. Definitely. I mean, you're right there in the, in the, in the thick of it, you know, in the, in the atmosphere. It's, uh, you get to feel the vibe, take it all in, soak it all in, and really just, uh, yeah, like visualize what's going to happen. So I've already done this once in my head many times in my head but now I've done it once in real life I've, I've been I've been there so I'm ahead of the game now outside the cage and in the cage this is obviously a pretty big event but you sound pretty relaxed and you're always a pretty relaxed character leading up to these big events so is that just your personality or do you have ways of keeping yourself relaxed you know in the week leading up to the fight uh, it's experience you have to have experience uh, if not you you get lost in this so I've done this for so many years I know how I like to be before a fight. I have my methods of keeping me relaxed, keeping me calm, because I don't really want to waste any energy or any excess energy I need to waste, you know. Yeah, I feel right now super relaxed. I feel calm. Like, I I have my own techniques I use, but, 
yeah, at the end of the day, it's about me. This is my show. So if I keep that same energy, I relax. I don't really get too overzealous in my ways. You know, then, yeah, I'm just going to dominate. You've had a lot of back and forth with Brunson. What do you actually think about him now that you're here at Fight Week? I don't think about him. That's it. I don't think about him. I think about myself. I worry about what I'm going to do. I don't really think about it. How much have you looked at this fight in terms of how it's going to play out, looking at what you bring, your strengths, and what he brings? How do you see this fight playing out in the ideal scenario for you? Mm, for me, I say going my way, however I want it to go. Like I said, I can make him do whatever I want to do. I want to make him make the, make the mistakes I want and then capitalize on it instantly. So, yeah. Uh, I'm ready, man. I honestly can't wait. I just want to show showcase. I, he's the perfect guy to showcase my skills against because, yeah, he's just he's he's the canvas and I'm the artist and I want to paint all over him on Saturday night. In terms of looking to the future, is it something you've done beyond this fight? And if so, do you have a name? I mean, there's obviously a couple of middleweight fights on this card as well with some some ranked fighters in there. Do you have anyone that you really ideally would like to face next? Nah, I just focus on me. I keep that same energy, and I don't try and be. Uh, I just, I focus on me and my opponent at hand. I don't try and do anything else. Like, you can sometimes look. You can't see the forest for the trees, but right now I'm just looking right at the tree. I don't, I'm gonna chop it down Saturday night. What about the title? How much is that driving you? And I guess when do you see that shot coming? The title, uh, for me, probably in the next fight, depending on how the landscape of this whole middleweight tournament plays out, and depending on how Whitaker goes against Gastelum, so, yeah, I'm plotting, I'm watching, I'm steady watching, I'm not, you know, I'm not really trying to look past this guy yet, I'm just going to do me Saturday night, and then I'll plot right after that. And just finally, you mentioned Whitaker there, he's obviously a Kiwi-born guy, he's an Australian I mean, how exciting would that be, a potential fight against him for the title, you know, two guys from opposite sides of the Tasman? I mean, there's always been that trans-Tasman, uh, what do you call it, rivalry, if you will. I've always been, you know, I started off with Pavlova. Pavlova was the, was the initiator of it because they claim they made it, we claim we made it. And even now, when I got signed to the UFC, they're trying to claim me. They're always, always trying to claim Kiwis. And they've already claimed one of, a, a former Kiwi, if you will, in Robert Whitaker. He's a Mozzie now. So I am the all black. If you look at me, my skin is black. My style is dark. I'm the all black. And he's a little wallaby. So I'm going to drag him over to Spark Arena sometime next year. If you can keep that belt, not snatch that belt off him in Spark Arena in front of my people. The New Zealand combat sports star Israel Adesunya there speaking to Clay Wilson. The New Zealand motor racing driver Scott Dixon says he doesn't really have the records he wants to break and is just happy to be doing what he's doing. 38-year-old Dixon has been driving in North America's top open-wheel competition since 2001. Dixon was in New Zealand this week to promote the movie about his career, Born Racer. This year, he won his fifth IndyCars title and sits just behind American legend AJ Foyt, who has seven on the all-time list. He spoke to Wallace Chapman while he was back home in Auckland, and Wallace asked him, does it feel like you're going almost 400 kilometres per hour? 
No, it doesn't. I think, uh, you know, the, the best, uh, you know, when you go through junior categories, the first 10 laps and the next bigger car, you know, 20 laps is, is the most amazing situation because you're, you're, you know, getting into something bigger, more powerful, harder to control. And then you, you kind of just acclimatise, right? You become used to it. And, and, and uh, you know, the, the thing with IndyCar racing, that's probably one of the few exception, exceptions is just that speed is still extremely high. But it's not until... It's not until something goes wrong or you're out of control that you, the, you then reality strikes back of how quickly that changed and, and how fast you are actually going. Yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. That, that, but I mean, you, we, we see you do a fallout qualifying speed at the 2017 Indy 500. What I think it's 232 miles per hour. That's just over, yeah, 370 k's. Mm -hmm. The fastest speed in 21 years. So now it's about what trying to go even faster. Yeah. Well, so they. They kind of have a speed. They try not to, to you know, with technology these days, you could go well over, you know, 250 average. So that, that, that 232 average is the average lap of the speed, but your peak speed, you know, going to turn one is probably just over 250 miles an hour. But, uh, yeah, you know, the, the speeds, they kind of try to control where they're at. You know, I think uh, safety is a big and important yeah. part, um, you know, so if you start traveling at, you know, 260, 270, 280, the impacts just become so much bigger. So you have to be very careful on, on the outright speed. So let me get this straight, you're going so far that your brain doesn't immediately register all the things that are happening, your brain is just trying to keep up with the movements, and, and so you do psychological tests for, for that? Yeah, so you become in tune with it, but most of the times you're, the things you're trying to do, yes, there's reactions because you're doing many inputs, you know, a second, whether it's, you know, turning the wheel left, turning the wheel right, brake, accelerator, you know, whatever it is. Um, so you, you, a lot of those are just second nature, right? You're doing them with almost out thinking about them. Uh, but when something uh, like, you know, what we're about to talk about with, with uh, Born Racer and, and the crash in, in 2017, those are, you kind of know it's happening, but you don't have the chance to react to it. So you kind of see it in slow speed, and you know it's gonna, there's going to be an impact, Good but you're, you're at a point of no return. There's nothing you can do. Where, would you, where do you go from here? I mean, uh, to continue on or beating Foyt's record or what? <laughs> yeah, the stat thing has become obviously more prominent in the last few years just because of, you know, where we're moving up on the ladder. Uh, race wins is kind of one fight rate. You know, we're third all time now behind AJ Foyt, Mario Andretti, you know, and then myself. Um, and then, you know, the championship is, is uh, AJ Foyt at seven and, and myself at five. And there's, there's actually quite a, a big bunch of people on four with Dario Franchitti, Mario Andretti, you know. Sebastian Bourdais. So it's it's nice to, to, to jump into that no man's land on that one. But uh, no, I think, um, I don't know, I think the drive is, if not more uh, than when I started, just, just, I don't know. I feel like you only get, you only get, you get such few opportunities in your life, you know, and, and for me, you, you, you've got to make the most of it. And uh, that has you, you must have, I mean... You know, you're living in Indianapolis, living the living. You know, they've got this massive career. You must have done well financially. Uh, yeah, you know, I think multi-millionaire. Pro probably not as much as you've got a great watch on. Oh, thank you. Yeah, watch is a bad habit, but it's. it's uh, <laughs> but no, you know, I think. Um, yeah, there's no doubt. There's there's extra cream here and there for for different things, but but for me, you know, the racing is is definitely the passion. It's what I enjoy the most, and that's what inspires me. And and continues to, to make me want more. Scott Dixon talking to Wallace Chapman. What turns you off sport? 
Sport New Zealand is keen to know and is urging people to take part in an online survey to have their say on issues from sideline behaviour to match fixing and doping. The survey is part of an ongoing review of integrity in sport at all levels. The online questionnaire will be open for six weeks with Sport New Zealand then deciding if their current approach in dealing with issues is appropriate. Recent reviews of football, cycling and hockey have revealed cultures of bullying and harassment and a lack of accountability. But Sport New Zealand Chief Executive Peter Miskimmon says the integrity review isn't simply about high-performance sport and they want to learn what puts New Zealanders off participating in sport. The issue for sport integrity, while a lot of people would think it's high performance, this goes all the way right down to grassroots level. So we're really, really interested in any of those things that put people off uh, or, or a barrier to sport. So right down to sideline behaviour, into child protection issues, um, early specialisation of kids at secondary school, you know, all the way to discrimination, back up to areas of doping and match fixing. So it is the full gambit. Because sport's so important to New Zealanders, we want to make sure that we are addressing all of those issues that could be an issue for people wanting to participate. So does this highlight the fact that perhaps Sporting it feels that there hasn't been the opportunity for people to comment? I think the most important thing is that people that participate and are involved in sport are the ones that know what goes on. And the opportunity here is from, you know, for parents, for administrators, for volunteers, for participants and players, anyone uh, who's involved in sport, because we are passionate in New Zealand about sport, we really want to understand your reality. We really do want to understand what works in, in your school, in your sport, in your club, and would have a view on any of the issues. And, and we've identified six issues that we're asking people to, to provide some submissions on. I mean, we already have a lot of systems and a lot of procedures in place already. One of the things we know that the culture is strong around the integrity of sport in New Zealand. You know, we, we, we are known uh, and have a great reputation in sport for playing hard but playing fair. Uh, we, we want to uphold that value of sport. So we already have a lot of those things in place. But it's a big, big, big world out there and, and many of these issues that we've seen uh, coming out internationally are heading our way and we want to be sure that we're not asleep at the wheel and that we can put um, procedures in place and support in place to make sure that we are safeguarding that value of sport for future generations. Yeah, so you've been talking about uh, protection, integrity, anti-doping, corruption, match-fixing fi- match and the likes, but in light of recent sporting uh, issues and reviews and those sorts of things, do you expect perhaps more of that um, uh, culture within teams and sports and and the likes? Look, I, th- I think we will. That's the nature of things. I think we'll also see the, you know, certainly in some areas, the over-emphasis on competition from coaches and parents. You know, uh, th- this takes in not only member protection but also child protection. We're particularly interested in what those things that turn kids off and on. What we already hear from kids is we, they don't like the, the, um, the, the overemphasis on, on, on winning. It uh, doesn't mean that they don't interested in winning, as they just don't like the adult expectations around that. So I think we're going to hear a, a lot of those areas. But look, I don't want to really prejudge. The opportunity here is that 
people know when there's good sport and they know when there's bad sport and they know when some of the, the, the integrity areas are being questioned by behaviours. Um, and, and what we're looking for is examples of that and areas where we can strengthen to make sure we protect and preserve all of those good things that we've had for generation after generation in New Zealand. Sport New Zealand CEO Peter Miskimmon talking to sports reporter Barry Guy. The survey can be found at sportnz.org.nz forward slash integrity. And that's all we have for Extra Time this week. You can keep up to date with all of our stories at radionz.co.nz and check us out on Twitter at RNZ Sport. I've been your host, Ravinda Hunia. Hey kona. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.